You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hi, I'm Monica Toriello, an editor with McKinsey Publishing. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Our topic for today is consumer sentiment. In other words, how consumers around the world are feeling about their financial situation and how that's affecting their spending decisions and what the implications are for consumer companies. And here with me to discuss this topic are two people who have spent quite a bit of time studying consumer sentiment. They oversee the McKinsey Global Consumer Sentiment Survey an online survey covering 25 countries. First, we have Anna Martinez, who is an expert in McKinsey's consumer packaged goods practice. She's based in Stamford. Thanks for being here, Anna. Thank you for having me. And we're pleased to have Alex Rodriguez with us today as well. Alex is a partner in our New Jersey office. Glad to have you with us, Alex. Thanks for having me. So as we said earlier, the survey covers 25 countries. It's got 25,000 respondents. Summarize for us the two or three or four takeaways from the latest survey? Specifically, how different were they from the previous year's results? And was there anything that was surprising to you? There's a couple key insights, I think, that were very interesting for us when we found them. One is, if you look at the financial security that people feel over time, and that is the answer to, are you making the same purchases you were in the past? Or are you uh, delaying purchases? Or are you cutting back on spending? then we see that overall, on a global level, so looking at all 25,000 consumers in our survey, the financial index increased, meaning that in our last round of surveys, and that was September 2016, consumers overall felt financially more secure than they did the year prior. That's, of course, not the same and universal in all the 25 countries. So what we saw there is that there are countries like Germany and the US where people were more positive in September 2016 than that they were the year prior, where other countries like Colombia and various countries in the Middle East, where consumers felt less financial secure. The other key finding, I think, is we ask consumers, well, when you make a, sh a purchase in the store and you look at your typical shopping basket, so your typical milk, cheese, pasta, you name it, and you look at the brands that you buy, is there a difference over time? And what we saw is that overall, Fewer consumers last time around traded down. So they, there were less consumers who picked a less expensive brand last year than that they were the year before. And again, they're very strong differences because if you ask consumers in Brazil or in South Africa, there were many more consumers who traded down. The flip side of that is those who are trading up. And there are more consumers on a global level who picked a more expensive brands. And again, there are differences between categories and the very sharp differences between countries. So if you look at the countries where there was a lot of trading up, it's countries like Germany and India. I would say from a channel perspective, overall we're seeing a continued trend towards online discount and the club channel. And I think one of the biggest insights we've had in, in the survey is that if you look at China and India, that movement towards online is impressive. And uh, we're seeing that consistently, you know, at least over the past couple of years, and we expect that trend to continue going forward. So let's talk about the online channel a little bit, because in the UK and France, for example, online grocery is at a much higher penetration than it is here in the United States. Do you think that that will change, or do you think that there are specific 
factors in those countries that are not true here in the U.S., and therefore it won't ever catch up. So we do believe the U.S. will eventually catch up, but there are some uh, structural differences between Europe and the U.S. You're seeing, you know, online players working in grocery, working very well in big urban areas where the economics simply work for delivery. Given the distances of significant portions of the population in the U.S., you know, to actually get to their homes, uh, that is to date still a structural barrier in the U.S. The other difference is, is that in Europe, what you see in France and in the U.K., what is so extremely powerful is the click and collect. So you make an online purchase and you go to the store to collect it. In the U.S., that is starting to kick off, but it's not as strong, whereas in, in speci especially in France, it's really large. What about demographically? Are you seeing any differences between, say, men and women in consumer sentiment or millennials and boomers? Yes, definitely. And we, the interesting thing is we've looked at the U.S. market for many, many years. And what you see there is that females are much more likely to be frugal. 38% of women are paying more attention to prices versus 27% of men. Or 32% of female consumers in the U.S. wait for sales before making a purchase versus only 20% of men. Then if you look at the U.S. millennials and boomers, millennials are the one who are really not as brand loyal. So they're much more likely to trade up or down. Whereas if you look at boomers, they are much more resistant to change. So again, a couple statistics. 18% of boomers are delaying their purchases in the U.S. versus 39% of millennials. So you've talked about trading up to more expensive brands, but also trading down to, to cheaper options. And about 40% of consumers who trade down, trade down to private label products. Do you think there are categories that lend themselves better to private label? And do you think there are categories in which private label will just never be a big factor? So I think the, the categories that are less innovative and more commoditized and are less personal, so less for me, those are the categories that really lend themselves to buying a private label product. So more than 50% globally of consumers trade down to private label in pasta. Same thing for pre-prepared bakery products. But if you flip that and you look at personal care and alcoholic beverages, I feel that's much more for me. There it's only 20 to 25% of consumers globally who trade down but then buy a private label product. The other consumers are trading down, but just simply buy a less expensive, but still branded product. What I like about this is that, you know, this is not isolated to certain markets. This is actually a trend we see globally around what's for me versus what's, you might argue, more commoditized. So I guess most people see alcoholic beverages and wine as for me, because that seems to be a category where they're trading up a lot. But are there other cultural things like that that you see that affects the trade up versus trade down? Yes, very much so. So if you look at consumers in China, for example, we've done, McKinsey has done various research in China, different than our sentiment survey research. You see in China, they much rather buy a national, an international brand, but really a global branded product and trade up Whereas if you look at consumers in Brazil, there is much more a tendency to stretch the currency that you have and buy more. So buy a national brand or local brand and just buy more versus a more expensive global brand. And I would say across Latin America, you see different behaviors. I would argue that the behavior Anna just described in Brazil uh, is not something you would observe in many categories, say in Mexico, mm -hmm. right? 
And I would also make a distinction between categories like apparel versus food, right? I think stretching your peso in Mexico when it comes to food is more prevalent. When it comes to things like apparel, you see a lot more willingness to overspend when you compare similar classes uh, with other markets. But almost everywhere, it seems, consumers are continuing to look for value, right? They're looking for ways to save money. And in one of the articles that you've written, in light of this scrimping and saving, one of your recommendations is for companies to clearly articulate the role of each brand in each channel. What does that mean? And maybe you could give an example of a company that does that well. So an example could be Procter & Gamble with their basic line of paper products. So Bounty Basic and Charmin Basic are available in low-cost channels, while uh, full-price Bounty and Charmin are brands that are available elsewhere. So some companies are actually being smart about how they do make distinctions across channels to cater for these consumer trends. So Alex, you've talked about the importance of the longitudinal data and really keeping for, for companies to keep their finger on the pulse of the consumer. What are some companies doing that are actually achieving this for them? What are some ways that they are keeping abreast of consumer sentiment, aside from looking at survey results and indexes? We see many companies conducting consumer surveys, such as this one. And again, you know, I think many of those companies have found the survey that we've been conducting very helpful to either complement what they are doing or actually as a starting base for what they then conduct. A lot of companies are doing social media analytics, which is increasingly an extremely important source of information on consumer sentiment and ultimately their behaviors. You can get into the more nitty-gritty of how consumers behave. You can look at things like transaction logs. You can look at loyalty card data. You can look at cell phone movement data. You can look at you know, web behavior and clicks and understand where things are trending and identify changes to all of those. Do you have any perspectives on which of those work best? And, or do you think that they have to do sort of a combination of those kinds of things? I think the highest performing companies never rely on a single source or even three sources for that matter, but rather you know, keep a pulse on multiple sources to understand what consumers are doing. You have to be watching trends across multiple sources of information to actually be able to recognize trends and take advantage of them. So this is something that successful companies don't do as a one-off. This is something that successful companies are doing on an ongoing basis across, as I said, multiple sources of information. Yeah, and we, McKinsey has done a, a couple studies, and what they've seen is it's typically the middle and smaller size companies who've proven to be better in tune with these changing consumers. And why is that, do you think, that small and medium-sized companies would be better at it? In general, smaller-sized companies are more nimble. They are more interconnected. So as you work across multiple sources of information and with very rapidly changing trends, you need to have good cross-communication within the company, which obviously is easier in smaller size companies. And beyond that, the ability to move quickly based on the insights is also something that smaller size companies are able to do. Larger companies have a lot more vetting processes and take longer to make bigger decisions. 
How does consumer sentiment and the things that you find out in this survey affect how a company thinks about customer experience, if at all? So what I see companies doing is they try to, again, learn from uh, consumer sentiment trends to understand you know, where the consumer is heading, you know, what their interest will be in the future, how they'll want to purchase, what they'll want to purchase, to actually try and stay as relevant as possible in the future. And increasingly what we're seeing is that part of remaining relevant is actually creating an experience that consumers want. So consumer sentiment is an input into what type of customer experience you need to be providing to remain relevant for the consumer in different markets. And what does that mean in practice? So I think it's a combination of more tactical things and bigger picture uh, things. So on the tactical things, I would say uh, it may be what SKUs you choose to carry. How are you communicating value? Or how are you demonstrating the premium nature of some of the categories you have? I think at a macro level, recognizing a trend in consumer sentiment that has an impact on the overall relevance you have as a channel, for example, I think leads to bigger questions around, you know, how much should be brick and mortar versus online? What do you think is the shelf life of consumer sentiment? Is that going to change six months from now, a year from now, or does it change tomorrow? So it depends on the country. There are clearly countries where once a year now has proven to be enough. Um, as Alex said, we started the U.S. a decade ago. In the beginning, we did the survey every half year because at the beginning of the recession, 2008, 2009, sentiment was changing really rapidly, and now it's much more steady. Other countries, like the Middle East, the sentiment is changing much more rapidly, and we've decided to do this survey twice a year. So we believe that in many markets, taking the pulse check once a year is more than enough. Certainly, uh, we feel that is that holds for the U.S. We are testing twice a year in certain markets, and we will likely continue to do that in a subset of markets where the socioeconomic situation changes at a more rapid pace. Thanks very much, Anna and Alex, for your time today. And thanks to all of you for listening. To read more about the changing consumer landscape, please see our series of articles about the new consumer on McKinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, Visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.